Mr. President, Senators, in just a moment, uh, my colleague, Mr. Nugus, will return to show that we've established with overwhelming evidence that President Trump engaged in high crimes and misdemeanors. Before Mr. Nugus comes up, though, I'd like to emphasize what should be an uncontroversial point, but is really key to understand. If we have proven to you the conduct that we've alleged in this article, then President Trump has indeed committed a high crime and misdemeanor under the Constitution. Incitement of insurrection under these circumstances is undoubtedly, in the words of George Mason from the Constitutional Convention, a great and dangerous offense against the Republic. Indeed, it is hard to think of a greater or more dangerous offense against the Republic than this one. So, to be very precise about this, I hope we all can agree today that if a president does incite a violent insurrection against the government, he can be impeached for it. I hope we all can agree that that is a constitutional crime. Another key point, while President Trump's lawyers may be arguing otherwise, the question here is not whether President Trump committed a crime under the federal code or DC law or the law of any state. Impeachment does not result in criminal penalties, as we keep emphasizing. No one spends a day in jail. There are not even criminal or civil fines. Centuries of history, not to mention the constitutional text, structure, and original intent and understanding, all confirm the teaching of James Wilson, another framer who wrote that impeachments and offenses come not within the sphere of ordinary jurisprudence. Simply put, impeachment was created for a purpose separate and distinct from criminal punishment. It was created to prevent and deter elected officials who swear an oath to represent America, but then commit dangerous offenses against our republic. That's a constitutional crime. And senators, what greater offense could one commit than to incite a violent insurrection at our seat of government during the peaceful transfer of power? In circumstances where violence is foreseeable, where a crowd is poised for violence to provoke a mob of thousands to attack us with weapons and sticks and poles, to bludgeon and beat our law enforcement officers and to deface these sacred walls and to trash the place and to do so while seeking to stop us from fulfilling our own oaths, our own duties to uphold the Constitution by counting the votes from our free and fair elections and then to sit back and watch in delight as insurrectionists attack us, violating a sacred oath and engaging in a profound dereliction and desertion of duty? How can we assure that our Commander-in-Chief will protect, preserve, and defend us and our Constitution if we don't hold a President accountable in a circumstance like this? What is impeachable conduct if not this? I challenge you all to think about it. If you think this is not impeachable, what is? What would be? If President Trump's lawyers endorse his breathtaking assertion that his conduct and inciting these events was totally appropriate, and the Senate acquits Donald Trump, then any president could incite and provoke insurrectionary violence against us again.
If you don't find this a high crime and misdemeanor today, you have set a new terrible standard for presidential misconduct in the United States of America. The only real question here is the factual one. Did we prove that Donald Trump, while President of the United States, incited a violent insurrection against the government? Incitement, of course, is an inherently fact-based and fact-intensive judgment, which is why we commend you all for your scrupulous attention to everything that took place. But we believe that we have shown you overwhelming evidence in this case that would convince anyone using their common sense that this was indeed incitement, meaning that Donald Trump's conduct encouraged violence, the violence was foreseeable, and he acted willfully in the actions that encouraged violence. Mr. Neguse will take you through that evidence again. Not the whole thing, we're almost done. <laughs> we're almost done, but we don't want it to be said they never proved this or they never proved that because my magnificent team of managers has stayed up night after night after night through weeks to compile all of the factual evidence and we have put it before you. And we have put it before all of you in this public trial because we love our country that much. Mr. Neguse will show you that we've proven our case and that President Trump committed this impeachable offense that we impeached him for on January 13th and that you should convict him. And when he's finished, I will return and explain why it's dangerous for us to ignore this and why you must convict, and then we will rest. Mr. Nugus. Mr. President, uh, distinguished senators, good afternoon again. Uh, as my colleague, Lead Manager Raskin mentioned, I know it's been a long few days, and I want to say thank you, that we're very grateful for your patience, for your attention, and the attention that you have paid to every one of our managers as they have presented our case. As Lead Manager Raskin mentioned, uh, I hope, I trust, that we could all agree that if a president incites a violent insurrection against our government, that that's impeachable conduct. So what I'd like to do as we close our case is just walk you through why our evidence overwhelmingly establishes that President Trump committed that offense. Now, as you consider that question, that question of whether the president incited an insurrection, there are three questions that reasonably come to mind. Was violence foreseeable? Did he encourage violence? And did he act willfully? And I'm going to show you why the answer to every one of those questions has to be yes. First, let's start with foreseeability. Was it foreseeable that the violence would erupt on January 6th if President Trump lit a spark? Was it predictable that the crowd at the Save America rally was poised on a hair trigger for violence? that they would fight, literally, if provoked to do so. Of course it was. When President Trump stood up 
to that podium on January 6th, he knew that many in that crowd were inflamed, were armed, were ready for violence. It was an explosive situation, and he knew it. We've shown you the evidence on this point. You've, you've seen it. The images, the videos, the articles, and the pattern which show that the violence on that terrible day was entirely foreseeable. We've showed you how this all began with the big lie, the claim that the election was rigged and that President Trump and his supporters were the victims of a massive fraud, a massive conspiracy to rip away their votes. We've showed you how President Trump spread that lie and how over the course of months, with his support and encouragement, it inflamed part of his base, resulting in death threats, real-world violence, and increasingly extreme calls to stop the steal. We established that after he lost the election, the president was willing to do just about anything to prevent the peaceful transfer of power that he tried everything he could do to stop it. You'll recall the evidence on the screen. Him pressuring and, and threatening state election officials, attacking them to the point of literally calling them enemies of the state, threatening at least one of them with criminal penalties. Then attacking senators, members of Congress, all across the media pressuring the Justice Department, prompting outcries from assistant U.S. attorneys, not to mention his own attorney general, reportedly telling him that the stolen election claims were, quote, BS, not my phrase, his. And then, as January 6th approached, he moved on to attacking his own vice president, openly and savagely. We recounted throughout that entire period all the ways in which President Trump inflamed his supporters with lies that the election was stolen. And as every single one of us knows, nothing in this country is more sacred, nothing, than our right to vote, our voice. And here you have the President of the United States telling his supporters that their voice, that their rights as Americans were being stolen from them, ripped away. That made them angry, angry enough to stop the steal, to fight like hell to stop the steal. And we showed you this. You saw the endless tweets the rallies, the statements encouraging and spreading that big lie. You saw that he did this over and over again with the same message each time. You must fight to win it back. You must never surrender, no matter what. And remember, each time that his supporters along the way showed violence, he endorsed it. 
encouraged it, praised it. All part of that same demand to stop the steal and fight like hell. Remember the video that Manager Plaskett showed you from Texas? Some of his supporters encircling a, a bus of campaign workers on a highway? People easily could have been killed. Easily. What did he do? He tweeted it and made a joke about it at a rally. Called them patriots. Held them out as an example of what it means to stop the steal. When he told his supporters to stop the steal, they took up arms to literally intimidate officials to overturn the election results. You saw the evidence, and so did he, and he welcomed it. And when President Trump attacked Georgia's Secretary of State for certifying the results, his supporters sent death threats. You saw those in great detail from Manager Dean. What did he do? He attacked the election officials further. When his supporters gathered together to have a second million MAGA rally, that's the rally that Manager Plaskett showed you, a rally about the stolen election, he tweeted that the fight had just begun. What happened next? It's not rocket science. Fights broke out, stabbings, serious violence. Now, President Trump, like all of us, he saw what happened at that rally. He saw all the violence, the burnings, the chaos. How did he respond? He tweeted praise of the event. And then, see it on the screen, he bought $50 million, $50 million worth of ads to further promote his message to those exact same people. He immediately joined forces with that very same group. He joined forces with the same people that had just erupted into violence. Was violence predictable? Was it obvious that the crowd on January 6th was poised for violence? Prepared for it? Absolutely. And this isn't just clear you know, looking back in time. It was widely recognized at the time. In the days leading up to January 6th, there were dozens, hundreds of warnings. And he knew it. He knew the rally would explode if provoked. He knew all it would take was a slight push. Remember, you heard from Manager Plaskett, the chatter on social media, websites that the Trump administration monitored and were known to the Trump operation. It showed that the people he invited to the January 6th rally took this as a serious call to arms. That this was not just any attack. It was to storm the Capitol if necessary, to stop the steal. And it wasn't just clear on these uh, websites that the Trump administration was 
monitoring. I mean, the FBI issued reports about this as a credible threat, a threat to target us. Law enforcement made six arrests that night before, six arrests. Newspapers across the city warned of the risk of the violence. There can be no doubt that the risk of violence was foreseeable. And what did he do in the days leading up to the rally? Did he calm the situation? Ask yourself. I mean, did he call for peace? No. He didn't do that. He spread his big lie more. The most dangerous lie, as I mentioned, that Americans' votes were being stolen and that the final act of theft would occur here in the Capitol. And then he assembled all of those supporters. He invited them to an organized event on a specific day, at a specific time, matched perfectly to coincide with the joint session of Congress, to coincide with the steal that he had told them to stop by any and all means. Again, he was told by law enforcement and all over the news that these people were armed and ready for real violence. He knew it. I mean, he knew it perfectly well that he had created this powder keg at his rally. He knew just how combustible that situation was. He knew there were people before him who had prepared, who were armed and armored. He knew they would jump to violence at any signal, at any sign from him that he needed them to fight, that he needed them to stop the steal. And we all know what happened next. Second question, did he encourage the violence? Standing in that powder keg, did he light a match? Everyone knows the answer to that question. The hours of video you all have watched leave no doubt. Just remember what he said on January 6th. All of us here today do not want to see our election victory stolen. There's never been anything like this. It's a pure theft in American history. Everybody knows it. Make no mistake, this election was stolen from you, from me, and from the country. At the opening of... We will never give up. We will never concede. It doesn't happen. You don't concede when there's theft involved. And to use a favorite term that all of you people really came up with, we will stop the steal. We must stop the steal. We will not let them silence your voices. We're not going to let it happen. Not going to let it happen. get your people to fight, because you'll never take back our country with weakness. 
you have to show strength and you have to be strong. And we fight. We fight like hell. And if you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore. You may remember at the outset of this trial that I told you you'd hear three phrases over and over and over again. The big lie that the election had been stolen. Stop the steal and never concede. And fight like hell to stop that steal. You heard those phrases throughout the course of this trial. Video after video, statement after statement, telling his supporters that they should be patriots to fight hard to stop the steal. And on that day, that day, where did he direct the crowd's ire? He directed them here, to Congress. He quite literally, at one part of that speech, pointed at us. He told them to fight like hell, and if you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore. And here's the thing, that wasn't metaphorical. It wasn't rhetorical. He'd already made it perfectly clear that when he said fight, he meant it. And that when followers, in fact, fought, when they engaged in violence, that he'd praise and honor them as patriots. He implied that it was okay to break the law because the election was being stolen. You heard it. You remember the clip that Manager Dean showed you earlier in this trial. He told them, quote is on the screen, when you catch somebody in a fraud, you're allowed to go by very different rules. Remember how all of his Supporters, some of his supporters across social media were treating this as a war, talking about bringing in the cavalry. Well, President Trump made clear what those different rules were. He'd been making it clear for months. So, let's have trial by combat. And Rudy, you did a great job. He's got guts. You know what? He's got guts. Unlike a lot of people in the Republican Party, he's got guts. He fights. His message was crystal clear. And it was understood immediately, instantly, by his followers. And we don't have to guess. We don't have to guess as to how they reacted. We can look at how people reacted to what he said. You saw them, and you saw the violence. It's pretty simple. He said it, and they did it. And we know this because they told us. They told us in real time during the attack. You saw the affidavits, the interviews on social media, on live TV. They were doing this for him because he asked them to. 
And it wasn't just insurrectionists who confirmed this. Many, many people, including current and former officials, immediately recognized that the president had incited the crowd, that he alone was capable of stopping the violence, that he did this and he had to call it off because he was the only one who could. Let's see what Representative McCarthy, Representative Gallagher, Chris Christie, Representative Kinzinger, and Representative Katko had to say. I could not be fatter or more disappointed with the way our country looks at this very moment. People are getting hurt. Anyone involved in this, if you're hearing me, hearing very loud and clear, this is not the American way. Mr. President, you have got to stop this. You are the only person who can call this off. Call it off. Pretty simple. Um, the president um, caused this protest to occur. He's the only one who can make it stop. What the president has said is not good enough. The president has to come out and, and tell his supporters to leave the Capitol grounds and to allow the Congress to do their business peacefully. And anything short of that is an abrogation of his responsibility. You know, a guy that knows how to, how to tweet very aggressively on Twitter, you know, puts out one of the weakest statements and one of the saddest days in American history. The president's role in this insurrection is undeniable, both on social media ahead of January 6th and in his speech that day. He deliberately promoted baseless theories, creating a combustible environment of misinformation and division. To allow the president of the United States to incite this attack without consequences is a direct threat to the future of this democracy. Did the president encourage violence? Yes. No doubt that he did. Final question. Did the president act willfully in his actions that encouraged violence? Well, let's look at the facts. He stood before an armed, angry crowd known to be ready for violence at his provocation. And what did he do? He provoked them. He aimed them here, told them to fight like hell. And that's exactly what they did. And his conduct throughout the rest of that terrible day really only confirms that he acted willfully, I mean, that he incited the crowd and then engaged in a dereliction of duty while he continued inflaming the violence. And again, we don't have to guess what he thought because he told us. Remember the video he released at 4.17 p.m.? Lead manager Raskin showed that to you yesterday. The one where he said, quote, we had an election that was stolen from us. Remember the tweet that he put out just a couple hours later, 6.01 p.m. on January 6th. You've seen it many times. You could see it on the slide. That these are the things that happen when a sacred landslide election victory is so unceremoniously and viciously stripped away. That is what he was focused on. Spreading the big lie and praising the mob that attacked us 
and our government. You heard Manager Cicilline describe reports. The president was delighted, enthusiastic, confused that others didn't share his excitement as he watched the attack unfold on TV. He cared more about pressing his efforts to overturn the election than he did about saving lives, our lives. Look at what President Trump did that day after the rally. It's important. He did virtually nothing. We've seen, lead man, uh, Manager Castro mentioned this, that when President Trump wants to stop something, he does so simply, easily, quickly. But aside from four tweets and a short clip during the over five-hour long attack, he did nothing. On January 6th, he didn't condemn the attack, he didn't condemn the attackers, didn't say that he would send help to defend us or defend law enforcement. He didn't react to the violence with shock or horror or dismay as we did. He didn't immediately rush to Twitter and demand in the clearest possible terms that the mob disperse, that they stop it, that they retreat. Instead, he issued messages in the afternoon that sided with them, the insurrectionists who had left police officers battered and bloodied. He reacted exactly the way someone would react if they were delighted and exactly unlike how a person would react if they were angry at how their followers were acting. Again, ask yourself how many lives would have been saved, how much pain and trauma would have been avoided if he had reacted the way that a president of the United States is supposed to act. There are two parts of President Trump's failure here, his dereliction of duty, that I just have to emphasize for a moment. First, is what he did to Vice President Mike Pence. The Vice President of the United States of America, his own Vice President, was in this building with an armed mob shouting, hang him. The same armed mob that set up gallows outside. You saw those pictures. And what did President Trump do? He attacked him more. He singled him out by name. It's honestly hard to fathom. Second, our law enforcement. The brave officers who were sacrificing their lives to defend us, who could not evacuate or seek cover because they were protecting us. I'm, I'm not going to go through again what my fellow manager showed you yesterday. But let me just say this, those officers serve us faithfully and dutifully and they follow their oaths. 
They deserved a president who upholds his, who would not risk their lives and safety to retain power. A president who would preserve, protect, and defend them. But that's not what he did. When they, the police, still barricaded and being attacked with poles, he said in his video to the people attacking them, we love you. You're very special. What more could we possibly need to know about President Trump's state of mind? Senators, the evidence is clear. We showed you statements, videos, affidavits that prove President Trump incited an insurrection, an insurrection that he alone had the power to stop. And the fact that he didn't stop it, the fact that he incited a lawless attack and abdicated his duty to defend us from it, the fact that he actually further inflamed the mob, further inflamed that mob, attacking his vice president while assassins were pursuing him in this capital, more than requires conviction and disqualification. We humbly, humbly ask you to convict President Trump for the crime for which he is overwhelmingly guilty of. Because if you don't, if we pretend this didn't happen, or worse, if we let it go unanswered, who's to say it won't happen again?